Who has scooped up the ocean in his two hands? Or measured the sky between his thumb and little finger? Who has put all of the earth's dirt in one of his baskets and weighed each mountain and hill? Who could have ever told God what to do or taught him his business? What expert would he have gone to for advice? What school would he attend to learn justice? What God do you suppose might have taught him what he knows and showed him how things work? Why the nations are but a drop in a bucket, a mere smudge on a window. Watch him sweep up the islands like so much dust off the floor. There aren't enough trees in Lebanon, nor enough animals in those vast forests to furnish adequate fuel and offerings for his worship. All the nations add up to simply nothing before him. Less than nothing is more like it. A minus. So who even comes close to being like God? To whom or what can you compare him? Some no-God idol? Ridiculous. It's made in a workshop, cast in bronze, given a thin veneer of gold, draped with silver filigree. Or perhaps someone will select a fine wood, olive wood, say, that won't rot. Then hire a woodcarver to make a no-God, giving special care to its base so it won't tip over. Haven't you been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Haven't you heard these stories all of your life? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? God sits high above the round ball of earth and the people look to Him like mere ants. He stretches out the skies like a canvas. Yes, like a tent canvas to live under. And He ignores what all the princes say and do. The rulers of the earth account for nothing. Princes and rulers don't amount to much. Like seeds barely rooted, just sprouted, they shrivel when God blows on them. Like flecks of chaff, they're gone with the wind. So who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the holy? Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all of this? Who marches the army, this army of stars out each night and counts them off and calls each by name? So magnificent, so powerful. And never overlooks a single one. So why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine and He doesn't get tired out and doesn't even pause to catch His breath. And He knows everything inside and out. And He energizes those who get tired and gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. This morning I have a simple and not particularly long word to bring to you this morning. But it's a word the Lord placed in my heart this week as I was seeking Him about what to share with us this morning. And the word I heard 
was to share about waiting on God. And our key scripture for this morning, I just read for you out of the paraphrase, the message from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 12. But our key scripture is found at the end of that chapter, starting in verse 27. And it's typed for you in the top of your bulletin as well as here up on the screen. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I have three simple questions for us this morning as it relates to this passage. And the first question that must be answered is this. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? We just completed a series of messages on experiencing God. And in that we discovered that knowing God is much more than simply knowing about Him. It's actually having an encounter with the living God. To genuinely know him. That's a lot of what the testimonies that we heard this morning were about. They're lo- of, of people learning and beginning to actually truly know Him. Neil Anderson writes this. He says, if you want your faith in God to increase, you must increase your understanding of Him as the object of your faith. If you have little knowledge about God and His Word, you will have little faith. If you have great knowledge of God and His Word, you will have great faith. Faith cannot be pumped up by coaxing yourself. If only I can believe. If only I can believe. Any attempt to push yourself beyond what you know about God and His ways is to move from faith to presumption. You choose to believe God according to what you already know to be true from His Word. And the only way to increase your faith is to increase your knowledge of God. Your faith object. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Well, you may say, that means there's a limit to our faith. Yes, there is a limit. But God isn't controlling it. You are. As the object of your faith, He is infinite. The only limit to your faith is your knowledge and understanding of God, which grows every time you read your Bible, memorize a new scripture verse, participate in a Bible study, meditate on a scriptural truth, hear a message from Him. Can you see the practical, tangible potential for your faith to grow as you endeavor to know God through His Word? It's boundless. I don't think there's a Christian alive who has lived up to his potential of faith. Furthermore, it's important to know that God is under no obligation to us. There is no way you can cleverly word a prayer so that God must act on your behalf. If God declares something to be true, you simply believe Him and live according to what is true. If God didn't say it, no amount of faith in the world will make it so. Believing doesn't make God's Word true. His Word is true, therefore I believe it. Do you know Him? The prophet Isaiah speaking to the people of God, says, have you been paying attention? Have you been listening? 
Do you not know? He is everlasting. I'm telling you, this is one concept that's really hard to get your head around. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you have a piece of paper that extends for all eternity from both directions. I mean, it just and it, it extends infinitely. It just keeps going. An infinite piece of paper. Imagine, infinite piece of paper. And on that paper, I want you to draw a line about this long, three inches long. That's time. The paper is eternity. It says in Deuteronomy, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in His majesty. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. That word everlasting has two connotations. One has to do with the element of time. One has to do with the element of strength. Corey Tenboom said, there is no hole so deep that God's hands do not go deeper still. And there is no circumstance or situation in your life that is so weighty, so heavy, so hard that God would get tired holding you up. I love what Eugene Peterson, how he paraphrased that. God lasts. He is everlasting. Everything else wears out Wears down. Wears out. But not God. He lasts. He's everlasting. He is the Creator. To Him who is able to keep you from falling. Jude 24 and 25. And to present you before His glorious presence without fault and and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Before, now, and forever. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you sent you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. (laughs) He is everlasting. He is the creator. Oh man. Lift your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and great mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, He is the image, speaking of Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things, say all things, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Alright. i got to help you picture this. I love, I mean I don't study it, I don't know much about it. But I love astronomy and the universe and the star. I mean, that stuff is just really cool to me. All right? I mean, just on Friday, there was something on, I just heard in traveling, you know, NPR, the Science Friday, and they were talking about, you know, the galaxies and all that sort of stuff. And every time, I just get, I just, that stuff interests me. All right, come here, Noah. Give me a hand. I'm going to have Noah give me a hand here. All right. Come on, bud. All right. I want you to imagine with me that we got a piece of paper here. 
All right? And on that piece of paper, I'm going to put a pinprick right over here. And that pinprick is going to represent the earth. Now, five-eighths of an inch away from that pinprick, that means, no, you're pretty much going to have to stand on my foot. All right? Okay. Five-eighths of an inch away from that pinprick, we're going to put another even tinier prick, and that's going to represent the moon. All right? Now, I need you to walk over to about the middle of the stage, maybe just a little past the middle of the stage. Okay? Keep going. All right, we're going to go 19 feet, right about there. Whoop. That is where we're going to put a two-inch hole. And that hole is going to represent the sun. Now, I need you to keep walking. Another 10 feet, so keep going to about, not quite to the edge of the, right about there. Whoop. Right there, we're going to put another tiny pinprick. That represents Mars. Now, Noah, what I'm going to need you to do is go up the stairs and out, and you're going to have to walk down a couple of blocks. No, not really. (laughs) But to get to the next place that we need to go, to get there to, to Neptune, we'd have to go 600 feet from here to get just to Neptune. Now, I have a question for you. How far would we need to send Noah to get to the nearest star in our galaxy? How far would we have to send him to get to the nearest star? A thousand feet? No, more than that. Twenty. We'd have to go to get to the nearest star. We'd have to put Noah. Come here, bud. We're gonna have to put Noah on a plane, pack his bags, put him on a plane. And we're going to send him a thousand miles. So you get your choice. Do you want to go to Dallas, Texas, or Denver, Colorado? Where do you want to go? Colorado. He wants to go to Denver. All right. So he's going to go to Denver, Colorado. That's how far that we're going to have to send Noah to get to the nearest star in our galaxy. All right. Now, extra sermon points, if any of you kids can help me, because I need help. We're talking science stuff now, all right? It's a little outside of my usual, all right? How fast is the speed of light? How fast is the speed of light? Anybody tell me? What's the speed of light? What does speed of light travel? Children, please. (laughs) Thank you, Suzanne. (laughs) All right, any any kids who didn't hear Suzanne? Anybody? All right, Peterson. No, more than that. Speed of light. How fast does the speed of light travel? Okay, Suzanne. 186,000 miles per second. So what that means is, if I were to shoot a bullet through Noah, which I would never do, If that bullet were traveling the speed of light, it would go around the earth and hit him seven times before he ever hit the earth if it took him one second to fall. Seven times. That's how fast the speed of light goes. All right. So at the speed of light, you can go sit. Thanks, bud. At the speed of light, 
You could travel from Los Angeles to New York in a fraction of a second. You'd pass the moon one and three sixteenth seconds later. In eight minutes, you would get to the sun. You would traverse one solar system in 11 hours, reach the nearest star on that piece of paper that we had that was over in Denver, In 4.3 years, you would arrive at the North Star in 400 years. You would cross our galaxy, the Milky Way, in 100,000 years. And it's estimated that outer space contains over 100 million galaxies like the Milky Way, each with billions of stars. In fact... How many of you like to go to the beach? Uh, You know, you like a beach, you like sand, all right? If you gathered every grain of sand on the earth from every beach, from everywhere, and brought it together and made one huge pile of sand and then counted it granule by granule, there are more stars and planets in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. Now, we have planted our flag five-eighths of an inch away and we think we hold the scepter to rule the universe. Precisely. He is creator. He is mighty who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand or is it's, you know, between his thumb and his little finger has marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and hills in a balance? As Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. There is no power greater than that power. And that power is at work in your life and in your circumstance, in your situation right now. He is mighty. He is all-knowing. Do you know what? God has never been confused. He's never been perplexed. He's never been up all night wondering how to figure something out. Because He's all-knowing. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed Him as His counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten Him? Who taught Him the right way? Who was it that taught Him knowledge or showed Him the path of understanding? And the answer is obvious. No one! As Paul writes in Corinthians, 
Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom didn't know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God greater than man's strength. (laughs) Do you know Him? Do you know this everlasting God? Do you know this Creator God? Do you know this mighty God? Do you know this all-knowing God? Do you know Him? truly know Him. And if you do then, it raises the next question. It's a question that Pastor Steve put before us last week and this really just resonated in my spirit and once again just sort of messed with my heart. And that question is this. Do you trust Him? Trust is different than believing. I can believe that this chair will hold me, but trusting is when I actually sit down in it. You've heard the story of the great um, tightrope walker, Blondin, I've told it before, who hooked up a a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Did incredible stuff. He, you know, back and forth. He had the bar. He, he, he put a, took a wheelbarrow and wheeled it back and forth across Niagara Falls with this empty wheelbarrow. Everybody saw the incredible stuff he'd done. So he said to the crowd, he said, how many of you believe that I could cross this tightrope while pushing a man in this wheelbarrow? Everybody had seen the incredible stuff they, he'd done. They all said, yeah, we believe that you can do it. And then he pointed to a guy in the crowd and said, Sir, would you please come on up and get into the wheelbarrow? And Jeff said, (laughs) Hmm. That's trust. He's getting in the wheelbarrow. Do you trust him to release the grace of rescue? Here's what I'd like to submit to you this morning. At the end of Isaiah 40, the last words are words that are familiar to many of us. When it says, they will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. What I'd like to submit to you this morning is this, that I believe that those that picture represents three expressions of the way God pours out His grace into our lives. Listen. The first is to release the grace of rescue. Flying. This is the grace that we learn about very early in life. It's the grace that we learn about when we're laying helpless in our crib and we go, and suddenly somebody comes and we fly through the air. We're rescued out of our prison and comforted and find nourishment for our body and soul. It's a grace that we find throughout Scriptures. In Mark chapter 1, it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. This is the grace of rescue. It is the grace that comes when he lifts us up out of our circumstance. 
Listen to me carefully. Sometimes we become a little bit too old and a little bit too mature to ask for rescue. Well, I want you to know that there is no age date on rescue. God rescues His children, whether they are infants or whether they are old. God loves to come and lift us up out of our circumstances. So ask Him. Ask Him. Never be ashamed to ask. Never be ashamed or afraid to ask. Those of you that are parents know, and some of you have gotten to the stage I have where I, with adult children, I I found something out. You don't stop parenting when they're 18. In fact, that's just when the fun begins. It's so. And when you pick up the phone and you hear the voice on the other line say, Daddy, come on. When we cry out, Abba, Papa, Daddy, help. The grace of rescue. But it's not the only kind of grace that He sends. He also releases the grace of collaboration. This is the grace that works with us in the circumstances where we become a part of the answer to the prayer and request we are bringing. Again, in the Gospel of Mark, this story is told, the familiar story, the feeding of the 5,000. By this time, it was late in the day, so His disciples came to Him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But He answered, You give them something to eat. And they said to Him, It would take eight months of man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? There's the key question. What do you have in your hands? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and to two set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up leftovers, 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. They were hungry going in and they got fed and leftovers. But here's the key to this picture. I want you to understand, when I look at this, when I look at this passage of Scripture, I don't see Jesus sort of sitting there and constantly, I mean, He's just multiplying. He's got this big mound of bread and fish and the disciples come up and they take a basket and they go out and then they come back for more. No. I believe He broke it, put it in their hands, and as they distributed it, it multiplied in their hands. He wants to work with us. His grace comes to do with you what you cannot do alone. He'll do with you what you cannot do alone. Which brings us to our third. Releasing the grace of endurance to walk. This is the grace that the Apostle Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now we don't know what Paul's affliction was because it's sort of a blank script. People sort of end up writing on it what they choose. And down through the ages, different people have speculated. And perhaps it says more about them than it does about him, but you know, some, I think, view it as a spouse. <laughs> or maybe a parishioner. Or maybe you know, a boss or a co-worker or somebody. Maybe it was his eyesight. There is at least some historical sense that perhaps he was struggling with his eyesight. We don't know. But whatever it was, God brought to him the grace to continue to walk and endure because the fact is this. He will be with you in what cannot be altered. You and I and each of us will at some point in our lives face situations that cannot be altered. You lose a spouse or you may lose a job or you some situation that's just totally outside and there's nothing that you can do to reverse that. But know that right in the midst of that, God is with you in what cannot be altered. And His grace will help you to keep walking. To keep walking. You might not be running anymore. You might not be flying. But there is grace to keep walking. It's the grace of endurance. It's the grace that the writer of Hebrews that I shared recently in the messages I brought out of Hebrews 11, but at the end of 10, 35. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded for in just a very little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. Don't lose heart. Don't be above the, among those that shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who persevere. And by persevering, receive the fruit and the harvest of righteousness. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. That's what the ancients were commended for. So here's my question to you as we close this morning, and that is, will you wait on him? And I've constructed that sentence quite specifically. The question is not simply, will you wait for him, but will you wait on him? Will you wait on Him? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Will you wait on Him? The famous words of John Milton, who one of the greatest poets of all time, 
One of my favorite sonnets of his, I've mentioned this before, is the sonnet that he wrote when he was going blind and he's arguing with God and he's talking to God about how wrong it would be for him to go blind and how much that would cut off the gift that God had given him and how difficult and all of that. And, and so he's having this conversation with God and at the very end, God speaks to him and says this, My son, they also serve who only stand and wait. We're waiting on God. We are waiters. Psalm 13. This week I, I looked in the concordance how many times, how long shows up in the Psalms. That phrase. It's at least 20 plus. How long? How long, O oh Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer. Oh Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, but, I trust. In your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. How long? If you've ever been in God's waiting room, you know He's got a big waiting room and sometimes that big clock ticks really slow. But God, is faithful and you can trust Him for the grace, the grace of rescue to lift you out of your circumstances, the grace of collaboration doing with you what you cannot do alone and the grace of endurance to be with you in that which cannot be altered. Will you wait on Him for His grace and receive from Him today? Now I know that we are way into overtime. It's Olympics, so we get to do that, you know? There's like 8 billion hours of Olympics on this week, so here you go. But this was so important to hear these testimonies, and I believe important to hear the Word, because they connect with one another and they connect with your life today. Because God doesn't want you to go out the same way you came in. And you're not here for a religious exercise. We're here to encounter the living God. Josh, if you'd come, I think I just need you right now, if that's okay. And whatever that song was you did at the close of the worship set, that was fat, that was perfect. So whatever that song was, that's what he's going to do. So whoever's up at PowerPoint. Thank you, Josh. Um, I think this is Josh's first time leading... Sunday morning at BCF uh, St. Paul. He's been at Minneapolis and some other places. So good. Thank you. Thank you. But that song just really captures. It's just perfect. What is it? <laughs> Invitation Fountain. That's really good.